and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about... I think we decided a few episodes ago it's just whatever we want to talk that is about. That's not true. Oh, sorry. It's about we the class. It's about Latin and Greek only. We, carefully delineated. Yes, yes Solway, everybody. <laughs> uh, abu, amo, kiboom. I love food. That's the other one the kids say all the time. No, this is not a. Anyway, we're not even talking about that book today. Anyway, we are here to talk about an old thing. But first, my name is Thomas Magby. I am joined by Graham Donaldson. Hi. And A.J. Hannenberg. That's me. And today's uh, Mr. Jan Hannenberg is going to be leading us in a continuation of what I think is a really good series, one I've really been enjoying on Plato's Republic. So I'm not going to get in the way of that. I'm just going to pass it off to you. <clears throat> I hope you guys are enjoying it. I love it. I, I, kn- I know, audience, I know I promised you Genghis Khan, but I didn't do the work because I got deathly ill this mm. past week and was out of school for like five days and didn't move from the bed and... Did not really have a whole lot of wherewithal in the old brain to jump into some some Genghis Khan as much, as deeply as I needed to. So we're back in Plato this week, which I'm not disappointed about. Plus, Plato's great. you don't own us, audience. <laughs> oh my gosh, what? Oh my gosh. <laughs> or do, we, do we have to declare our independence yeah, from the from audience? The audience? That declare, we have to declare it. Okay. <laughs> like, I like, declare rights. Our human oh, rights. Oh man, yeah. speaking <laughs> about, so the last episode with, we're talking about declaring human rights. We got so many responses and even students coming up and give, showing me the Michael Scott meme of, I didn't say it, I declared it. I, I've i never watched The Office. I, I have watched The Office. Anyway, I, I'm not one to like quote movies and uh, and TV shows. Is it, like, are you You're all in better the wrong at that? game, Mr. Yeah, exactly. Podcaster. That's exactly right. I, anyway. <laughs> so I, I didn't even catch the reference when, anyway, when we said it on the last episode. Yeah. So sorry I've about never that. Wa- that. The Office depressed me too much when I started watching it. Because it was so time. true to... Well, season one is real rough, just, but it gets a little more slapstick. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it was, it does. I just found it so... But the first season is good. Just like funny. bummer. Okay. Bummer. Hey, the upside of you being sick was I got to sub in your ninth grade English class. Oh, yeah, was it, that? it was great. During We were reading the scene from the Odyssey about the suitors getting killed and acting it out, and it was wonderful. So You got rave reviews. The students had... Oh, did they? Really? Oh, they I'm like, glad to hear Maybe that. it was great. I did not know You're that. You're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's exactly what all the blood all over the walls. I, I'm sorry about that. I, I meant to. Not all the kids made it through. That's exactly right. I only lost like three or four, so yeah. I wouldn't worry about it. So we are on book. We're on book six. Book so six. book six Man. of Plato's Republic. Chugging right along. So we need to do a like things. little review for my benefit. Okay. We're trying, uh, to, fi- we're trying <laughs> to find sure. justice in the city. That That's all trying I remember. to find justice uh-huh. in the city. So the, the grand question is why be just rather than unjust, right? That's the huge mm. question mm-hmm. of Plato's Republic. They figure... Well, if we can kind of see it in relief, like in a, in a city, maybe we look for it where it's big, we can figure out where it is, where it's small for an individual person. It's a pretty big assumption. If the answer to that is, actually, we couldn't, we're wasting our time. But then they do find it, right? They do find oh, it. Oh, okay, never mind. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> they figure out what the virtues are yep. in a city. Oh, that's right. right. And it's the, it's the four cardinal virtues, courage, justice, temperance, and uh, wisdom, prudence. Wisdom, justice, courage, temperance. Yeah. Yeah. Courage, justice, wisdom, and oh no! Courage, justice, prudence, and temper and mm-hmm. uh, temperance. temperance. So those are the four. And he says, "Well, it's pretty much the same in the person. You just sort of keep your nose clean and do what you're supposed to do and find harmony within the self." And so he divides the soul into three pieces: the tripartite soul, which we reference a lot on this podcast. So you have the reason, you've got the spirit, and then you've got the appetites. And they should kind of be in that order of who's in charge. The reason should be in charge. Mm-hmm. That should, And your spirit should sort of enforce your reason and what you know you should do over your appetites, which are always sort of clawing for whatever they can get. Yep. But they should be, not be in charge. They should be at the bottom of the barrel. They should still be there, but you should, you know, run them with your reason. So that's what, what it is inside a person. Gotcha. You should attempt to control them. 
Yeah, last podcast we talked about the ladies. Do you guys remember the the ladies and children whole thing from last podcast? I thought we oh everyone belongs to everyone. Yeah, yeah, this is a good Huxley style. Weird. Yeah, everybody belongs to everybody. We're gonna try to breed them like good dogs. Oh, That's oh, this right. was the part about the drawing yeah. lots, but it's actually all rigged. Was yeah, it, it's, it's all yeah. rigged so the the uggos and dummies don't get <laughs> don't to get have lots of reproduce. snake eyes again. <laughs> Every year. Our snake eyes. Every Remember year. our snake eyes? The the new Reddit community yeah. we established. <laughs> Arsenic. I can't believe it, guys. Solidarity. There's going to be one guy that's like, it's a conspiracy. Everyone's like, you're nuts. <laughs> but then he's right. Like and all then conspiracy theorists? No. The kids are welcome to come to war, which you guys seem to have no trouble with Sorry showing horrible battle scenes like to 80 year olds. Gotta grow up. Yeah. It, that's horrifying. Oh, okay. You guys, You guys are horrifying. Can, uh, apparently there's already an R slash snake eyes with three members and it's related to the G.I. Joe character snake eyes. Oh, I mean, there's your fun shoot, fact. We'd hate day. to take that away. That's, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we'd hate to take that away from them. I wonder what's Can the we... Venn diagram on how many of them would get snake eyes on. G.I. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Hold out. Wow. Ouch. If you're a me- I'm one sorry of the three, three members of our snake eyes, I apologize. I'm sure you're very attractive <laughs> and would, you know, have a great time on the festival day. Yep, sure. All right, so book six is picking back up, talking about, you know, who should run the state. We've, we've sort of put away the question of women and children, and we're back to who should sort of run things. Because okay. when we when we ended it, at one point, we said, well, clearly the best one is the philosopher king, right? Naturally. Until philosophers can run the state, everything's going to be kind of a mess. Yep. And then, <clears throat> so they're, they go back to chatting about that, and... He says, which of the two classes, philosophers or non-philosophers, should run the state? And I, I, I guess bet you guys know where this is going. Philosophers. Do you think if a carpenter wrote Plato's Republic, it would have been like, <laughs> who, of all the, of the two classes, carpenters and non-carpenters, <laughs> who should Plato be in charge of the state? Well, he, he basically says, is it better to see or to be blind? And he's like, well, <laughs> clearly to see. That's a tough and he's one. like, yeah. well, a philosopher has a clear a clear pattern in their mind of what is good and what is just and what is beautiful and everything is well-ordered. And thus from that, he can order the state. Now, if you don't have a good idea in your mind about what is good and just and beautiful and orderly, then is that any better than being blind? And everyone's like, <laughs> but maybe, so, so we're, we're making fun of it, but maybe it's a little bit more simple than we're saying. So it's not just that philosophers should be in charge, but you want someone in charge who has a clear cut idea as to how things ought to go yep. like you need to have a philosopher like a, a philosophy like think about it in terms of running a sports franchise right like if you, uh, which i think about a lot because i love sports um <laughs> you think if, about running one yeah okay. i'd love to okay um but if you if you just have like a bunch of voices in the room and it's just a a a power play dynamic then you have no direction and you don't really know who to hire who to recruit and then you eventually are manchester united like you just mm-hmm. have so much money but you don't have any sort of vision and it's going to fall apart eventually. Or you hire somebody that has like, I'm going to live and die by this philosophy and we are going to organize everything to be under this view of either how the game should play or how the organization should be run. And oftentimes those are the more successful franchises. It's kind of like what Moneyball is about, right? Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning, there's a pretty famous scene where everyone's sitting around a table and he's like, well, we need somebody with a pretty face. You know, we got to have like the guy that gets the people sitting in the stands and... So he can get all the home runs. So we're going to spend a whole bunch of money on this one yeah. guy. And, and the guy's like, well, he doesn't get on base, though. Right. Yeah. He's like, you who cares all- if he gets on base? He's got, he's got the face for baseball. <laughs> yeah, you have all the... So unless you have a, yeah, uh, a clear-cut philosophy. I don't know. So I don't know if that's what 
he's getting Socrates it. is getting it. Yep. Or maybe also it's the inverse to say that this is a view of what philosophy is, that to have a good philosophy is to be able to run a state. But I, maybe you all don't feel this way. I have trouble separating a modern sense of philosophy exactly. from what Plato is talking which about is here. Which is completely decoupled from right. sort of practical life. Which is what he's talking about. It's, yeah. a, it's so practical a, a view of the world that it can run a state well to, to have it. I don't know if your your vision of philosophy is so decoupled from what they really? thought about it back then. It's probably decoupled from what Socrates would say yeah. about it or Plato sure. would say about it, but definitely not from the general prevailing view. Right. And we're actually going to get into that in this Rock and roll. book. Right? Awesome. That's cool. So they go on to say, okay, so if we have the philosophers who are running the state, what are the qualities of a philosopher? How do you tell a philosophical temperament from somebody else? They have to be ugly. <laughs> Wait, what? Okay, so ugly. Mm-hmm. Socrates. Why, why ugly? Because Socrates is ugly. Okay. Be- because they would only be liked for the quality of their ideas instead of for how they look. I don't know. Exactly. I'm trying, I'm if they're ugly but pop, uh, if they're ugly but famous, then you know they must have made it on their own merits, as opposed to as opposed to their looks. This is yeah. a, this is a bummer. Like Danny DeVito. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> oh. Man's a philosopher. Yeah. No, so this is like the um, the if you have if you have uh, a choice of a surgeon, somebody who looks like a stereotypical surgeon, you know sort of thin hands and, and, and like wiry glasses and a wall of degrees and sort of bookish, or you had like a guy that looks like a, a butcher from Brooklyn, um, you should choose the butcher from I'm Brooklyn. I'm picking the first one. What no, are you no, talking choose about? the butcher from Brooklyn because if he is actually working in that hospital, uh-huh. he's there because he's had to overcome all of the stereotypes of people thinking that he's not a surgeon. I'll know. tell you what we're going to do. Exactly. I'm going to knock you cold yeah. with a stick and then I'm going to take a really big knife and yeah. we're going to cut that cancer right out. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, this is this is Nassim Taleb's uh, idea of like... Um, <laughs> I've been cutting animals apart for 25 <laughs> exactly. years. Yeah, exactly. I know exactly where I don't like he doesn't this. look no. like what a stereotype is and yet he's working in like a fancy hospital yeah, then he must be no he must know what he's doing if you're anything like the hogs in my butcher shop <laughs> yeah. this should be a piece of cake yeah i don't like this <laughs> uh, so what makes a good philosopher that's the question yeah what are the qualities of a philosopher that you should look for they are smart they are well read they okay, are so smart he says they have to have a lo- love of eternal knowledge so yeah, a go. knowledge that shows them the eternal nature of something okay something that isn't going to vary from generation to generation or be changed by corruption they love like, the truth what is yeah. the well, not just the truth, but the pure essence of the truth. Right? Oh. What is the like pure core, shining core of the thing? Like, what wow. is beauty? And oh, not okay. like, well, beauty is like someone that has white teeth, you know, because <laughs> that's going to change depending on what years you hang out, right? Maybe it'll in 20 years, it'll be pointy teeth that we're mm. super into. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Vampires. So he yes. has to... Well, there was there was sort of a stretch there during there the was. Underworld mm-hmm. series where everyone was super into that vampires. That was a thing, really? That's yeah, weird. Okay. I think so. Weird. Anyway, so but but the question is, can they get at the the core knowledge of something? Okay, they should love truthfulness and not ever be into knowing lies. Yeah, they need to, so not not just like a head smart, but they need to be mm-hmm. a, a good person. Um, so uh, not just a clever devil, but using that smartness toward a good. So the four virtues you laid out earlier, having those. Yeah, he kind of outlines those, but in a weird sort of roundabout way. So here he says, he'll be absorbed in the pleasures of the soul and will hardly feel bodily pleasures. Oh, I don't know about that. So it's not like he's actually temperate. He's just so absorbed in learning (laughs) that he sort of forgets to be absorbed in the bodily pleasures. Hmm. And the same thing is sort of true of being temperate, right? He's so after the truth that he doesn't really care for material goods, so why would he be covetous of anybody else? Yep. And he should be liberal, meaning giving things away. And as far as 
courage is going? Well, if he's thinking about all time and all existence, does he think much about the short span of human life? Does he? No. And so he's not really worried about death. He's right. like, it is a short, small thing. <laughs> so why am I worried about death? Right? That sounds so, like a weirdo, right? You want that guy in yeah. charge of like <laughs> sanitation? <laughs> That's good. It's really good. <laughs> or even the army. Making like, decisions it, it, about it. it. Be like, oh, well, what is man? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if he's making choices. Throw about- them away. Yeah. Their lives are short anyway. Yeah. What is even that. our city? Oh. People pass away as a Flower. But again, this is sort of where the, 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 the you know, stereotype we're saying is the modern philosopher right. that Magby was talking about. So this guy kind of sounds like that modern philosopher. So no, again, doesn't enjoy anything earthly, physical, what, corporeal, whatever, and only has a life of the mind. I don't know. He, does, he doesn't sound like, I don't know. He doesn't sound like a fun guy to hang he, out with? Which, which maybe is fine. I don't need to hang out with him. I need, it just needs to be a good ruler. I don't know. Okay, so you guys are actually kind of hitting on one of the criticisms of this part is that uh, I for I forget who it was, Alan Bloom, somebody, but they criticized this part, portion and said like this is not a truly virtuous man; it's mm. an accidentally virtuous man. Oh, interesting. He, he's only virtuous because he doesn't actually want those things. Like, yeah, because okay. he doesn't care for them. Right. And and you could go and say, isn't that a true kind of virtue? Right, where you're courageous simply because you don't hold human life to be that worthwhile and you don't hold material goods to be that worthwhile what is the what is the functional difference between that and real virtue it feels different if you don't have the desire in the first place i there's nothing heroic about it is that they haven't overcome anything i guess but but functionally if all i care about is their ability to lead they won't be swayed by bribery or uh or something other than the good of the city so in that sense it's fine but just at the personal level i don't know if that actually that seems like a lesser virtue yeah I mean, that, yeah, that's the criticism. Yeah. He should also love learning, just in general, be sure. into learning stuff. And he should have a well-proportioned and gracious mind. He says, is... Got a big old head? Is, that is harmony and proportion good or bad? Basically, <laughs> truth akin to proportion or disproportion. He's like, clearly, proportion. Okay, and he's great. like, ah, clearly. therefore, the philosopher's mind should be proportioned. So there seem to be some pretty weird leaps here. Yeah. But then one of the guys sitting around listening to all this says something that I think you guys might echo. So, and I quote, here... What's his name? Adamantus. Adam, Adamantus? Has he been... He's been in the conversation he's been before. before. Yeah, he's been hanging okay. out. Interposed and said, to these statements, Socrates, no one can offer a reply. But when you talk in this way, a strange feeling passes over the minds of your hearers. They fancy that they are led astray a little at each step in the argument, owing to their own want of skill in asking and answering questions. Hmm. These littles accumulate, and at the end of the discussion, they are found to have sustained a mighty overthrow, and all their former notions appear to be turned upside down. <laughs> and as unskillful players of draughts are at last shut up by the more skillful, skillful adversaries and have no peace to move, so they too find themselves shut up at last, for they have nothing to say in this new game of which, uh, of which words are the counters, and yet all the time they're in the right. The observation is suggested to me by what is now occurring— For any one of us might say that although in words he is not able to meet you at each step of the argument, he sees as a fact that the votaries of philosophy, so people who pursue philosophy, Mm -hmm. when they carry on the study, not only in youth as a part of education, but as the pursuit of their maturer years, most of them become strange monsters, (laughs) not to say utter rogues, and that those who may be considered the best of them are made useless to the world by the very study which you extol. Totally. That's so great, it's like you you're talking a whole lot of words and I, I don't I don't know how to contradict you, but 
from what I know of philosophers, they're a bunch of freaking weirdos. And nobody's <laughs> none of them are useful, help. and the rest right. of them are total rogues. Yep. Strange monsters is a great name for like a philosophy podcast. But so it sounds like he's saying, "You're trying to trick me, Socrates." Every little step, I'm like, "Yeah, that makes sense." And at the end, I look back to where I am, and I'm a weirdo. And well, he's like, <laughs> "I look back, and I totally disagree with where we." You're, you're saying that philosophers should be the guys that run the state, and from what I, what I know of people who actually pursue philosophy, but they're all weirdos and recluses and the rest of them are total jerkballs. Right. And so what does Socrates reply to that? Oh, Socrates, of course. Does he say they're just not real philosophers? He just, well. No, no true Scotsman? He's. <laughs> that would be a good answer. That would actually be kind yeah. of a fun fun answer. It's not, it's not brief, I'll tell you that. No. Uh, mm. a, good, a good chunk of the rest of this chapter is mm. sort of designed to it. So he says, well, maybe I can answer you, answer you in a parable. <laughs> so imagine a ship. Okay. Got a ship? Got you it. It's, yeah, it's ship. in my brain. Got yeah. it. Yeah. At the head of this ship is a captain. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, this captain, well, he don't see so good. Okay. And he don't hear so good. And he's also pretty bad at navigation. So, so Captain bad, Squints. Bad, bad captain. Captain okay. Squinty. Uh-huh. And then everyone on this ship is sort of angling to be the new navigator. And none of them really know what they're doing. Hmm. And so they're all fighting to get navigator. And if one guy suggests that he'd be better than the guy who's currently doing it, well, he, one, the first guy chucks him overboard. And then, so they're all sort of fighting for it and can, trying to convince the captain to let them do it. And no one actually really knows how to navigate. No yep. one's actually been trained. But if there was one guy that actually knew how to navigate, what would he spend most of his time doing? Well, he would study the change of seasons. He hmm. would study the stars. He would look at where they were. He would know what, what the wind was all about and the waves, and he would be a great observer of nature. Mm-hmm. And so from where they're sitting, this guy would look like a total space case. <laughs> oh, because he's sitting there like looking at books and stuff? Because yeah, he's, he's right. like looking at books oh. and he's looking at the stars and yeah. he's looking at everything else. And he doesn't really seem concerned with the actual goings on on the ship when everyone's like mutinying each other and chucking each other overboard and angling to be the navigator. This is a great analogy. And so yeah. he he seems to be a total dreamer and useless to the day-to-day working of the ship when he's the one that actually knows how to navigate. He's just, it never occurs to them that they should wed this sort of navigation with power. So Socrates' answer is, you just think that the philosophers are whack jobs, but really... They really they know what's be, going on. They should be in charge, but the only reason you think they're weird is because you're not one of them. Yeah. Or, or to say, don't, do you all ever feel, feel strange for your love of classics, love of literature, uh, pursuit of virtue, whatever, when the, when there's nothing in, I don't know, those aren't things that are like praised in popular culture. Does that... No. I just have a strong sense that everybody's wrong. But in which is oh, what, that's kind of which what, is what this navigator has oh, also, that he knows that everyone else is wrong because ah. of what he studies. Right? But then I don't want to be I don't want to be in charge though. Uh, well that's the thing. The pilot should not humbly beg the sailors to be commanded by him. That is not the order of nature. Neither are the wise to go to the doors of the rich. Basically he's saying it's not really good for a ruler to have to beg his subjects to be subjects, right. right? Even if he knows the right way to do things, if this one guy that knows how to navigate starts to get in the trenches with everybody else and try to angle his way to the front of the ship, yeah. well, it doesn't really become a good ruler, right? right? So then what should this navigator <laughs> what should this person do he shouldn't run campaign nets like we should just be like he's he's gonna do a good job he uh, doesn't need to convince us oh, no i'm more worried that he would never be picked because he's not angling oh like wouldn't another bad captain be selected and smarty mix smart pants would just be off to the side doing his own thing the whole time yeah and i okay. think that's well he's he doesn't really provide a solution he says this is just oh, the state really? of the world right <laughs> this is awesome this is the way things are he's trying to explain why all the philosophers look like a bunch of wasters sure. and 
It's because they actually know what's going on, but they're not willing to sort of angle for the the power with everybody else who's angling for power over dark. a ship that isn't heading anywhere. Brand the brave. Yes. No, brand the what was it called? Brand the broken. Yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> what like is that? What is that from? Oh, it's from the. It's from who gets? I don't want to say spoilers for Game of Thrones, but oh. have you not oh, seen the last? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah I'm, right. I'm with you. I've not seen the last season. Oh, Sorry. it's not. I've it heard should it have been. I mean, I'm sure the book will be will flesh everything out, but. Yeah. Um, but so th- that's a pretty bleak vision for the state of things, right? To say that yeah. people who actually know how to lead will never be selected. And so I guess the assumption should just be bad leaders from here on out. And for all of history, like when we look back at history, isn't that kind of what we get? Maybe I'd, a bunch of people angling for power and how many of them really for, have a true vision for how a state should be. Every run. now and then you get your uh, Plantagenet series had a bunch of people who wanted to actually be monks. So yeah. they kind of did what they had to and then left. Yeah. There's Solon, the great Athenian. Okay. Who mm-hmm. refused power when they first asked him? He's like, "No, I want a farm." And they said, "We're going to kill you unless you do it." And he's like, oh, okay. "Well, I, I prefer kinghood to death, yeah. so let's do it." So, yeah, but I guess that's the point: is that there aren't many of those great rulers. That's what makes them great: is that they stick out. Right. That's yeah. fair. So that explains why some of them appear to be useless. Okay. That doesn't explain why some of them appear to be rogues oh. and total corruptions. Mm-hmm. Right. So some of the philosophers, yeah, they're just good for nothings. The rest of them seem to be total, total rogues is mm-hmm. the other charge. Why might philosophers, do you guys have any idea why philosophers might appear to be total rogues? Because they're so different from, in your ship analogy, they're so different from the regular crewmen that the crewmen have no way of knowing if they're virtuous or not, or good or not, or what, it, like, they're so different that it can't be gauged by the common morality of the, of the crew. Or they're charlatans, like like they're able to convince people of their own ability and they don't the work a day are? in their life, but they've convinced, they sort of talk their way into power or, or talk their way into, I don't know, ripping you off or whatever. Yeah. So here, here's his answer. He says, well, let's consider the cor- corruptions of the true philosophic natures because some of these are actual philosophers that are right. being corrupted, right? right? They, they started good and then they went totally sour. And so... How Seduced does, by the dark side. <laughs> yeah, but guess what seducism? What? This is going to blow your minds apart for okay. a second. So he says, what are the numberless and powerful causes tend to destroy these rare natures? Well, in the first place, there are their own virtues, their courage, temperance, and the rest of them, every one of which praiseworthy qualities destroys and distracts from philosophy, the soul which is the possessor of them. And then he says, and then there are the ordinary goods of life, beauty, wealth, strength, rank, and great connections in the state. You understand these sort of things. These also also have a corrupting and distracting effect. But what's How the, can that be true? They got tangled up in the world? Is that what he's saying? Well, their virtues distracted them. Their virtues distracted them. From beauty, wealth, connections? Nope. Connections are the other things that distract them. So they, they, they had a... They, they didn't order their affections properly. Like they loved courage too much. Is that what he's saying? Maybe. So he, he, he will go on to explain, but, yeah. uh, but the listeners have the same reaction you guys do. That doesn't They're Like, what seem are you talking sense. about? Right. Like, how can, how can virtues be the thing that totally make these guys go screwy? Mm-hmm. And he says, well, let's take a look at a ph- philosophical nature, right? A philosophical nature is a great nature. Mm-hmm. Obviously. There's, there's something <laughs> real, some so. real deep yeah. steel there. It's right? embarrassing it's, that you even have to write it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you shouldn't have to. Shouldn't, yeah. It's, sure. Why am I even wasting paper yeah. with this? And he says, well... They would then therefore be the most sensitive to a bad environment or a bad education, right? So a philosophic nature, if, mm. if tuned incorrectly, 
is the most apt to go wrong in a really serious, bad, damaging way. Interesting. Right. So he talks about okay because so, they have they're they're clever or they have aptitude. Yeah, they're so, clever and they have aptitude. Basically, so like, clever devils, uh, right? Yeah. So if, if someone's got like the hmm. aptitude of a log, he's not going to be that dangerous of a. If you if you teach that, even log, if he turns evil, he's not going to be able to swindle anybody yeah, because yeah. he'll be like, "You should give me your money." Yeah, and then, and then they'll be like, "Ah, uh, no." Right. Cool. But if you're real smart, you can go bad in some really serious ways. Mm-hmm. So this is because sometimes people will say that, you know, real virtue is found in the humble farmer or or pick your hands on craft. Yeah. But those are differences then in it's like the the variance is wider for a philosopher that they could be super, super good, but they could also be super, super, bad. super evil. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to just an everyday you do your work loyally, you love your spouse, you love your kids. Like the priest and the plowman in yeah. Canterbury Tales. The, the range is lower. And yeah. so you're more yeah, likely to be. If you're just be, like a humble farmer, yes. you can go really wrong, yeah. but what what's going to suffer maybe your kids and maybe your that, wife, exactly. but you're not, you're probably not going to bring down the state, yeah. right? If you have the potential to be a flipping genius right. and you could save the world with your science, well, you can also end up destroying it. That's it. But also if you were to mess up your family, you yourself starve. Like you have incentive to be uh, uh, just temperate, prudent, like you, as opposed to working for the um, the state, studying science. There's, no, sure. there's nothing on the hook in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And so he says, okay, well, let's consider where, where our, our young philosophers are getting their education. And he says, well, People talk all the time about these sophists, these singular, sure. singular teachers, right? Do you guys know who the sophists are? Mm-hmm. Can you can you tell our listeners and and clue them in? They talked real pretty. They uh, they didn't really care about truth. They cared about persuasion. Is how they're often characterized. Uh, so they write self help management books. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Yeah. Like they've they've come up with one little trick, right. one little sort of life hack that you can use to get ahead in this world. But mm-hmm. it's not true philosophy. It's just a little. And then right. you go and sell that off. Yeah. And then you it, sell it off, and everyone's like, "Oh my goodness!" You pretend, say that you know, like, I don't know, beat your chest in the mirror every day for for self confidence or whatever. Um, those are called affirmations. Thank oh. you very much. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah. So these guys were teachers back in the old days, and there were true philosophers who were really seeking after truth. And these guys would say, "Look, truth or no truth, I'm going to teach you how to get ahead in." the courts, right? Right. Yeah. I'll teach you how to argue. Right. And so the real philosophers said, why lie to a judge when you are asking him to be your measure of truth? And the sophists would say, well, because we can win. Right. Right. And so because they submitted truth to their own ends, true philosophers kind of hated these guys. And then kind of the general public thought the sophists weren't that cool either. Right. And so he says, yeah. Except you, when you needed them and you go and pay for it and win your court case. Oh, right. Yeah, like, yeah. Except when you actually yeah, yeah. needed them. Do we have any uh, remaining? Do we have any writings from the sophists? Again, like we usually get the we. So Plato's going to tell us about how he hates the sophists. I'm just. Does anyone know? Do you all know mm. if we have anything? No, I mean not off the top of my head. I'm just curious. I if doubt the sophists it. ever wrote back. That's exactly like, right. You know what? Screw you, Plato. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they have their response. Yeah, they were you know firming themselves in front right. of the mirror yeah <laughs> they were yeah they were beating their chest they had no time for some for writing some waster down. that wasn't yeah. well no, it's also no, like is there a reason successful. why these books didn't survive as well sure because they're just no f- good fluffy ephemera or whatever sure okay so what he says is he says yeah you think that these young kids are going to be corrupted by one single sophist when the public are the true sophists wow because what happens is they'll go to council they'll go to some festival and what they will see is an entire public that will cheer or decry something as virtuous or terrible and what can a single teacher do against that huge flow of education that they're receiving every day in the public square ah <sighs> yeah that's feel, great I feel that one yeah okay <laughs> why do you feel that one i I, I honestly thought as i read this i was like oh the boys will this one will connect just i mean it's hard not to feel like 
I mean, maybe it's we're maybe we're tooting our own horn a little too hard, but it's it's you feel like you're doing the right thing, and then the kid just goes off and is getting all their head all twisted in the zeitgeist. Yes, we so the students are on campus for us from nine until four, so we have them for a few hours, but they're still taught from four until nine, and yeah, and so that it's more time that where they're taught outside of the school, but then also being here, anyone with internet connection is connected to that broader zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, what can we do against in the, the face great of that? force of media, the yeah. internet, television, friends, like how, how can we as single teachers affect any sort of grand This change? is going to relate really well with your episode mm-hmm. next, right, Graham? Mm-hmm. This, yeah. I, so yes, I, I agree with that point he's making there. I, I will say that. It is interesting that this has been the same cry for like 4,000 years. That. And then also you all do see students who will come alive to whatever you're saying. And so I I don't want to paint the picture as this never works, but it is hard. I think is is the point. Yeah. Yeah. He says, will he not have the notions of good and evil, which the public in general have, he will do as they do. And as they are, such will he be. And then he says, even if you get a, a sophist that you want to learn from, like a true teacher, well, he, he gives another parable. He says, the sophist is like a trainer of a beast. Hmm. And so he learns this beast. He learns the beast's ins and outs. He learns the beast's appetites. He knows when the beast looks at you this certain way, he's going to attack and all these different things. And so the sophist gets really, really, the, the, the trainer gets really, really good at understanding this beast. So the sophist is with the general public. He knows what they like. He will present artwork that they all generally applaud. He knows how to make everyone happy. He knows It's like the how, pickup artist, yeah. right? This is like, if you, if you want a girl to like you, you got to say these four types of sentences you gotta neg them yeah <laughs> and it's just like ugh. yeah but anyway it, it, it that's kind of my feeling of it is like you, you if you're reducing human beings down to their sort of inputs and outputs and all you got to do is maximize your you, know, you just need to become better in understanding your inputs then you can prosper that's that's sophistry right but are there i don't know this is probably tangent but is that always a bad thing like MBA. Yeah, MBA. I mean, thank you. I do. And, yeah, <laughs> undergrad in business and master's in business. And I just, I mean, I just uh, finished reading uh, for the umpteenth time, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, because I love it. Like, I don't isn't there some good in learning to be productive, effective, make money, any of those things? Are those always bad things? Wait, so well, they're question. not bad. You just won't be a philosopher. Is that, is the point here just to say know. what makes I mean, a philosopher or not? What's the question again? So sorry, what's your question are the are, are the goals of the sophist necessarily bad? If they're... If, if what you want is someone with a, a clear knowledge of the true good and beautiful, if you are skewed by the sophist and his pandering to the multitudes, yep. you can't get, like, how are you to lead the multitudes to truth when what you're doing is being jerked around by them? Does that make sense? It does. Maybe it's good if you're a clear-eyed sophist. Like, I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm just telling you how to do your taxes. Or even the seven habits are funny because Stephen Covey will recommend that people read the classics as a part of being an efficient, effective person. Well, I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying that these small tricks are bad and I'm not even saying that occasionally they can have, like occasionally the multitude is right. What I'm saying is that for people who need to lead the state, they need to not be subject to the whims Whims of of the people of the state. Got it. Perfect. Right. So it's different when you're talking about someone who is intended to be in charge versus someone who's just supposed to like be Be a solid CEO, right? Right. Be good at their job. Be good at their job. And it makes me think of this little section makes me think of Instagram poets. So let me read it to you. And in what way, Does he who thinks that wisdom is the discernment of the tempers and tastes of the motley multitude, whether in painting or in music or finally in politics, differ from him whom I've been describing? For when a man consorts with the many, 
and exhibits to them his poem or other work of art or the service which he has done to the state, making them his judges when he is not obliged, the so-called necessity of Diomedes will oblige him to produce whatever they praise. Right. And yet the reasons are utterly ludicrous, yeah. which they give him in confirmation of their own notions about the honorable and good. Did you ever hear any of them that were not? And then one of them was like, no, nor am I likely to hear. Like they yeah. give horrible reasons for why things are so good. Right. Right. And so he says, then the world is not a philosopher. And so the philosophers must inevitably fall under the censure of the world. Because the world doesn't know what is right, yeah. then won't a philosopher look like a rogue? Yes, I think that, I think that is clear. I think that makes sense. Okay. And then you're playing the part perfectly. Here, Thank maybe. you. They're like, yes, I agree. How, how, how can, can it be, be otherwise? otherwise? Yeah. Uh, and then he's, he goes even further. Remember when I said that their virtues were the things that lead them astray? Well, he kind of explains that. He says, if I'm a young philosopher and I've, I'm like, I'm smart. I got a lot of promise. I kind of can see to the core of things and I'm interested in learning. Well, I've got, and, and especially if I can wed that with some decent looks and a hot bod, then what I've got, I'm going to have around me are a bunch of friends right? And all these friends see my potential and they see the power that I will eventually have. Okay. And then they're going to try to take advantage of me. Oh. And so my very virtues are going to be the thing that draw people in and then they start to redirect my efforts. And even hmm. they'll overpraise me. And mm. at the point where I am overpraised, I'm least likely to actually pursue new knowledge, yeah. right? When if I'm told, look, you really need to pursue philosophy because you don't know what you're doing. If I've been praised for the last three years for everyone for being so smart and virtuous and good looking and good at sports, yeah. I'm far less likely to actually pursue it. And mm -hmm. so my yeah. very virtues, the very things that make me good in the beginning are the things that will be my downfall. Yeah. In the end. I mean, that's been my downfall. So <laughs> you're just too virtuous. Yeah, and we yeah. tell you how good the you looks, are. the sports, yeah. the praise. <laughs> I mean, it's just, well, that's why I've too much. gathered around you. I see the potential <laughs> you have and I'm like, he's going to have power later. I want that power. So I'm here. That's why I'm here. But is that still true? Are people attracted to the virtues than leading them off the track like that. I I don't I just don't know if that is still the case. Just before this we were talking about what is the more popular stereotype? It's the person who's on the edge and uh cynical and critical of whatever people are excited about. Um so I don't know if I don't know if that still holds true that people are looking for the virtuous person to be around. Like is that still the popular person? Mm. Graham has a thoughtful no, I mean, podcast listener. Well, apparently I just uh, verbally process, which infuriates the listeners. So I'm trying to... <laughs> You're trying to not verbally process? <laughs> There's something to that. There's also something about like wanting to see the good man fall. I don't know. There, so that I don't you, know. But that's then a more intentionally... Yeah, that's like the schadenfreude kind of thing. I think people are still naturally attracted to people with virtue. I mean... In high school and junior high, sure, sometimes you're attracted to the bad boy and the kid that won't follow the rules. But I think that comes from people desiring freedom and feeling like a lot of the rules don't make sense. And I think to them, it probably seems virtuous or at least bold. to be asking those questions. Yeah, they, they are the free thinker. They are the the uh, courageous. Yeah, They're, yeah uh, they so, have all these which would then make it a virtue. If, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I still think that what they're seeing is the potential for a true leader. Right. Mm -hmm someone who is willing to question the status quo and come up with their own rules. And then they follow them. And, but that kid will eventually, because of all those followers and panderers fall by the wayside and not actually live up to his potential. Right. Sure. So yeah. Anyway, that's, that's sort of his explanation. So now we have a pretty solid explanation for why philosophers would seem like a bunch of 
do, do nothing dreamers, right? Mm-hmm. Because they actually know what's going on, but they're not willing to sort of get down in the trenches with everybody. And why they seem like rogues. Well, because the world doesn't really have a clear idea of what's good and what's bad in the first place. But and if they really are a true philosopher, sometimes they're distracted by their own... But if they're a true philosopher, wouldn't they understand that some kind of service is part of the good and part of the a part of virtue is serving your fellow man and using your gifts for the betterment of society? Sure, but they're not going to plead for it. I'm not going to get on my knees and beg you to let me help you. Yeah. Right? It's a pearls before swine kind of thing i guess it's just then wouldn't they seek out opportunities to be able to do that in, in even in a small way in their or maybe that's what Socrates they still is doing seem like dreamers right if if, yeah. if he's just like quietly helping people put up barns I, you know that's that's first of all not the pot- potential of a true philosopher and mm-hmm. second of all still looks a bit like a dreamer spends all his days reading books and then raises a few barns like, yeah i guess this maybe this is even what socrates is doing by being in the city and dedicating himself to this project of trying to find the wise man, he's serving his community. Or at least he thinks, or in his own mind, that he's seeing himself as doing that. Right? Yeah. Which he, he is, right? Yeah. If he, in fact, is finding good rulers out of this or identifying them. It, yeah. It sounds like he, it sounds like he thinks that bad rulers have been picked, at least based on that analogy of the ship he just went through. Yeah. Okay. So he, he goes on and he, the next question is pretty much like, do you think any government is really conducive to having philosophers be in charge. And it sounds like Socrates is pretty much going to say like, nah, not really. There, there's no, no current government. And then the one of the guys asked the question, do you think the government that we created, remember the state that we've just spent the past ah. five books putting together, do you think that one is conducive to raising up a true philosopher king and letting one actually be in charge? Or is it going to be hostile, right? Mm-hmm. Is there anything that can actually be okay with this philosopher? And he goes, Yep. <laughs> and then he does, gets, he, does he say why? Uh, I don't think so. I think Great. he just says like we've we've kind of put it together, and then um, how you know how can we order philosophy so as to not be ruinous to the state? And the next question is how to how to sort of bring them up, right? Yeah. He says right now they study it in childhood, and then when they hit money making pursuits, they kind of leave it alone, and then eventually they'll go to a lecture and then right. make a really big deal about it because they're going to a lecture, but that's not their natural state is pursuing philosophies. That's spot on. So yeah. like, I went to a lecture and look how smart I am, but they're not actually a true philosopher. And he says, all right, so how, how do you actually raise up a philosopher, right? How do we sort of cultivate these people? And he says, well, in early childhood and youth, their study and what philosophy they learn should be suited to their tender years. During this period, while they are growing up toward manhood, the chief and special care should be given to their bodies, that they may have them to use in the service of philosophy. As life advances and the intellect begins to mature, let them increase the gymnastics of the soul. Hmm. But when the strength of our citizens fails and is past civil and military duties, then let them range at will and engage in no serious labor, as we intend them to live happily here and to crown this life with similar happiness in another the guy responds, how truly in earnest you are, Socrates. Like, man, you're really feeling this. <laughs> That's funny. So we want to let them grow. And then eventually when they're past military service, let them sort of just fart around. Fart around. <laughs> but if they've already been selected for the love of learning that they talked about earlier, they, they would succeed, right? They would continue to find things that are helpful to their growing philosophy. Mm-hmm. Was that like, it's all connected, right? Yeah, I think okay. so. And then they kind of go into a really 
lengthy discussion about aren't people going to f- take beef with this, mm-hmm. like letting philosophers be in charge and your whole education plan and, you know, letting somebody run it if they seem to be sort of a dreamer. And he's like, well, the philosopher's job as he puts together the constitution will be to look towards the divine, the yep. real, like, right there, their goal is to look towards the true core of things. And if they wipe the slate clean and they are consistently trying to align themselves with what is true, what is eternal, and they have all these virtues that we've outlined, then is anyone going to have a real beef? And he's like, eh, probably not. They'll probably be all right. And he's like, yeah. And, and the more he looks towards the divine, the more divine he will become himself mm. as he puts together the constitution and runs our state. And can anyone have beef with that? And the guy's like, eh, no, probably not. Yeah. No beef there. Everything's fine. And he's like, all right. So we've talked about why philosophers aren't as bad as you think. Mm-hmm. We've talked about kind of how to get them. But how do we test to find who these guys are. We already we already sort of talked about our guardians and how to find out which ones are the best for the state and which ones are best for certain jobs, right? We're going to put them through tests early when they're young. Mm-hmm. Like, remember, we're going to... Do you, I don't know if you guys remember the this. Kids but we're like gonna, to fight. We're going to ply yeah. them with pleasures. Oh, and that's see right. If we the can marshmallow test. Them. Yeah, the marshmallow <laughs> test. And we're going to like try to distract them with sex and see if that'll do it and then try to distract them with uh, non-patriotism and if everyone like, you know what? Our country does suck. Then they're they're, <laughs> they're out. out, they're out, out, out the game. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, how do you figure out who has the true philosophical nature? How do you figure out which? Put some books in front of them and see if they start reading. No. Well, he says, well, they shouldn't take the easy way out when it comes to learning. They should go the hard way. That's good. The long, circuitous way. There you go. He's like, so far we've been taking the easy way. Anyone who reads this book is not going to think that. But he, Socrates, is like, look, you guys just sort of settled for me telling you the four virtues. Right. Right. I I didn't take the long way. Our guardians are going to have to. They've got to go the long way with learning. And they're like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, we need to find out if they can, if they have a clear idea of what is absolute good. That's what we need to figure out. If they can have a clear idea of the absolute good. How do we figure that out? Well, okay. we, that's their question. They're oh. like, we're not sure we have an idea of what the absolute good is. Yeah. Can you How do you tell develop us, a test for it? Yeah. yeah maybe that's can you what I mean. tell us what that is, Socrates, yeah, yeah, exactly. please? Can you tell us what is the absolute good? And he says, well, that's going to be tougher because uh, right now people generally call it two things. They call it pleasure or they call it knowledge, right? That's the absolute good. He says, but you run into a problem. If you ask the person who says knowledge what they mean by knowledge, they, they say knowledge of the good. Mm. And by the good, they mean knowledge. knowledge. So it all of a sudden <laughs> gets real circular real right. fast. And so the people don't actually know what they're talking about. And if you ask the people with pleasures, well, you have to admit there's some good pleasures and some bad pleasures. Mm. So now the supreme good is bad. Oh. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. So it can't be either one of those. And they're like, true. So what is it? So what is it? Yeah. And he's like, well, like, I maybe I can't really tell you directly. Maybe I can talk about its kid. And they're like, all right, what talk, talk okay. about its child. Sounds okay. sounds great. Sounds awesome. So he says, let's talk about eyesight. Maybe that's the best <laughs> way we can get to this. Right, is everyone tracking with me? We're so tracking far? with you. All right, yeah, you guys, yes. you're, I'm, We're this, just the transitions are still. Isn't this crazy. funny? This is it's just funny. Imagine that you're having a discussion with someone and they and you go, "What is good?" And they go, "I'm going to tell you about eyesight." It's like what. What are you like, talking well, about? Well, let's like talk about yeah. the it's, senses, right? I bet, I bet it is. Ears here, touch, like you, you don't really need any sort of intermediary. Sight is a very special sense mm-hmm. in that really for the thing seen and the act of seeing, you need a third intermediary. You need light. Light. Okay. Mm. Right? You got to have the sun. Sure. And so the thing that is best about seeing, the thing that really is the good is the thing that allows us to do both, be seen and to see, and that is the sun, 
right? The sun kind of wins. The sun is the best thing. So you need light. Yeah, you need light. And he says, it is sort of true about the supreme good also in knowing. It's the thing that lets you know and the thing that provides sort of illumination to the knowledge. So it's the thing that generates, like the sun also helps to generate things in the world, like helps to grow plants and that sort of thing. And so whatever is sort of the giver of knowledge and the thing that allows you to know is the greatest good. Okay. And that's kind of where he stops. He doesn't really go that deeply into it, which I I imagine is going to be the next chapter, right? We're going to talk about what is the greatest good. And we're still in the, in the lower echelons of it. Okay. But this, so then it's the thing by which we know other things. If it's the light, it's what lets us see clearly things around us. Yes. It's the thing that sort of lets us know things, right? It's the, it's the generator and giver of knowledge. That's the thing. And then he says, let's talk about types of knowledge. And this is where we get Plato's divided line. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that phrase, if you in the audience may have heard it. There's a few things that Plato's famous for. His world of forms is one of them. The divided line is the other one. He's like, imagine yourself, you got a line. I'm I'm imagining it. You got it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Divide that into two. And he says, unequal proportions. Done. Okay. Okay. Now do that again to both of those segments. So we have four unequal lines. You got four unequal lines, right? Okay. The bottom and lowest of these lines is shadows. It's images. So the kind of images that we see in everyday life, they're in the real world, but say I'm looking at, say, a pond and on in the reflection of the pond, I see a mountain. Now, is that thing actually a mountain or is it just it's something else? Something else. It's a reflection of a mountain. Yeah. It's something I, I sort of see by imagination, mm-hmm. right? That's, okay. that's the lowest echelon. And then above that, we have things we kind of know by faith. And this is the actual stuff. Like, it's the real mountain. It's the things that I see. It's the things in the real world. It's the table I can bang my hands into. It's you, Thomas. It's you, Graham. It's everything that we can see around us. Okay. Right? Okay. And then above those two segments, we have the next line, which is the, the world of sort of hypotheses. So if I'm doing geometry, mm-hmm. and I want to talk about, say, triangleness. Well, I'm going to have to show a triangle, right? And then sort of work with this triangle and its three angles to sort of get at the idea of triangleness, mm-hmm. right? So there are some hypotheses I'll come up, I'll come up with and I'll have some examples. Maybe if I'm working with, say, the, the state of matter, well, I'll be working with like Einstein-Rosenberg condensates. And by the way, do you guys know what those are? Nope. What? Condensate, no. Einstein-Rosenberg condensate? It's no. a, let's see, fifth state of matter? Right. So it's really it's when it stuff gets so close to absolute zero that all the energized electrons are sort of stripped away and you get this weird like particle cloud goo. Weird. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. So my cat's breath smells like cat food. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) That's a Ralph Wiggum. Yeah. Go Ralph Wiggum. What's happening right now? Oh, it's just doctor the, said I wouldn't get so many nosebleeds if I kept my finger out of there. It's just like when people are talking about things they don't understand. Oh. That's how I feel. Okay, great. Awesome. You crushing it. So uh, those that's the that's the world of like tangible hypotheses. I'm still kind of working with ideas, but in a concrete way. Okay. Above that is the world of pure ideas as they are dissociated from the real. Okay. Right? So true triangleness, dissociated from any individual triangle. I mean, the true essence of triangleness or like not... The laws of triangles? Kind of like Like that. Yeah. The 180 degrees. Eternal nature of triangleness. Mm, Right? So yeah, they are 180 degrees, all of them. I don't have to Mm. talk about an individual triangle to 
get that, right? And I can use that as a first principle to sort of work my way back down. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Into hypotheses. Into like actual triangles. Yeah, into actual triangles. So it's like, if you've heard of the world of forms, we're getting up into the forms of things, right? The true form of something. Um, If I'm talking about diameter, well, it's it's not the diameter of any particular circle or ball or whatever. It's yeah, I'm a little fuzzy on that third one. The fourth one I understand, and the actual one I understand, and then the lowest one makes sense. But that third one, I'm still a little... The third one is sort of the I- when you're working with ideas, mm-hmm. uh, but ideas as it's you're sort of hypothesizing and not necessarily working with pure thought, mm, Okay. right? And, and mm. something that exists only in thought. So... It's clear now. <laughs> is that what did that do it for you yep no I, I still i still don't know the difference between if i'm thinking about a specific triangle that doesn't exist and the form of triangles i don't know i don't understand but it maybe it doesn't matter the difference between the two yeah i mean he he does this right at the end i imagine we're going to go deeper sure. into dealing with this divided line and dealing with the world of forms and mm-hmm. hopefully the allegory of the cave and all that stuff mm-hmm. I, I'm, that's book seven yeah i think all that stuff is coming and so we're going to start dealing with more and more what it means to be a true philosopher and what the absolute good is and i imagine he's got it he's got to talk about this whatever the brain light is yep. you know because there's sunlight which allows us to see mm-hmm. and be seen and then I, he's got to talk more about brain light whatever mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. ultimate good is that allows us to know things and be known brain and light. give yeah. give knowledge that's good right yeah yeah, so that's that's chapter six. Awesome. Cool. Uh, talking about philosophers, talking about philosophy, the divided line, and we're sort of moving into how do we test our philosophers to know if they really have a clear idea of the good. And so right now we're just talking about what is knowledge, what mm-hmm. is the absolute good, and Socrates is sort of dragging his feet on saying what the absolute good is. That's that's where we are. Which is how he is normally, right? That's not uh, atypical. Doesn't he not want to give straightaway answers normally? Yeah, I think this sounds about right. And mm-hmm. he 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 kind of couches it under being sheepish. Like if I tell if I tell it to you straight, you're gonna make fun of me because it's not even that clear in my own mind. Mm-hmm. And then later we sort of receive that clarity. Mm-hmm. And have you read ahead at all? Do you I know haven't. what's coming? Okay. Nope. You thoughts on what's coming next? I guess you're the. Well, just the brain light. What's that? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, what yeah, is that brain, brain light? light. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to be told what the absolute good is. Uh-huh. If it's not knowledge and if it's not pleasure, then I'm I'm excited to hear what what is the absolute good and i don't know are you guys are you guys sort of like we we've gone a long way in this are you sort of sold in that philosophers should be our kings and hmm. like has he sold you are you are you i was sold from the beginning i, I yeah. are you all aboard on this uh what about like holding the wives and the children in yeah, common that, and that, the that general state like are you the philosopher is a king i mean you want, you want the, someone that has a vision uh you want someone that isn't just going to be purely trying to manage the desires of the population. Oh, they hated that idea. Well, let's change it. Oh, they love that idea. Let's run with it. You need to have someone that has a vision as to what is good for a populace, even in spite of the populace holding it at all times. So you need someone with a little bit of courage of convictions or disagreeableness, if we wanted to call it that, or some sort of... um, um, yeah, who has, and this is sort of what I was getting at earlier with like, you need to, have, you want someone in charge who has an idea as how this should be played, how the team should be put together, or how things should be organized. But here's the problem with that. If, if they're disagreeing with the populace and the populace wants a certain thing and they're not giving it to them, mm-hmm. isn't that leader eventually going to get ousted, beheaded, or... Mm-hmm. They must have some other greater good they're working toward. It, it's not disagreeable for the sake of disagreeableness. It's, I'm not giving you this because we're actually going to achieve something else. 
But if they don't achieve it, and if the totally. if, if you're, then you, they got problems. I think you also have to have a certain level of likableness with your crowd. Otherwise, yeah. you're never going to get done what you need to get done, right? You have to have the people behind you. Well, I think yep. we've, we were not... I think when Socrates says they also need to have a general distaste for the finer things, that goes a long way. So if you have somebody that is working towards the concept of the good and the people don't like it and he's enriched himself versus somebody who is working towards the concept of the good, the people don't like it, but he is living like a pauper. That does have a weigh-in on whether or not we're going to, you know, um, kick him out of, you know, we're gonna, you were going to rebel against him. Like, that, that does speak to something, that uh, if this person does give off the sense that they are serving and not, and not self-aggrandizing, that's not nothing. Yeah. My biggest beef is that I, I, I'm not convinced that philosophers aren't dreamers, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if, if what he wants is someone who's concerned with the core truth of things, the eternal truth of something, and isn't that concerned with human life. Do I really want that person in charge of my human life and the life of our state? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. If he's so concerned with eternal truths, how, how is he going to be bothered with the day-to-day? Do you, do you want that guy in charge of sanitation? I don't think so. I, don't I think, think he's he... going to want to delegate and have no part of it because he is concerned with truth and less concerned with the people. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say. It's functionally he will not be in uh, head of the head of sanitation. He'll have people under him who would do that. And so, what the leader's role is to set the direction, the higher level direction of the city, for which you want a dreamer. You want someone who will think of the city as a whole. Where should it go? And then people below them actually put that into practice. That's, that's what I'm thinking when he's talking about this. Maybe I'm way off. So you don't need just the philosopher, but you, it you need, absolutely necessitates a cabinet yeah. that is willing to follow his vision, yeah. even if it's a vision they don't fully understand. Oh, well, they should understand it. So Socrates is acting as philosopher here, but also explaining his philosophy or getting to certain views in the same way a leader must be able to communicate those things. But am I misunderstanding? Is Socrates saying the philosopher doesn't need to do that? They don't need to explain themselves? I think, yeah, I think he'd need to be able to explain it. But if if the cabinet isn't also a bunch of philosophers and the world in general thinks, doesn't understand what he's doing and thinks philosophers are a bunch of dreamers and time wasters, then how is he going to overcome that? Yeah, ultimately someone has to do the work, right? So not everyone can be sitting around having ideas of where, what the city should be like a thousand years from now. Someone actually has to take out the trash. And the person doing the work has to be on board with the vision yes, right? of, and the, on, uh, of the people totally, that are higher up. Totally so I, I think with a philosopher king, you're just going to run into some of those same problems, especially the, the one that if he's not connected to the world. But the people who have come close to it are attractive figures in history. Like Marcus Aurelius, emperor of Rome, was... A philosopher, he was a Stoic, and there's always they always pop up these. Um, maybe the closest thing we have, well, we still have politics, but also business leaders. There's always men and women who have achieved great success in business, but have other pursuits of knowledge that I always am attracted to. That so, like, even though I don't like George Soros's philosophy, I mean, he has enriched himself because he wanted to be a philosopher. Right. Um, or uh, who else is there? Like um, Bridgewater, what's his name? Ray Dalio. Uh, again, in the same camp, although he's really interested in like meditation and Eastern philosophy. And but so uh, John Mackey, the CEO, founder of Whole Foods, was a philosophy major before yeah. founding um, Whole Foods. Yeah. Ben Hunt, although he's not in the same category as a Soros or a um, 
a uh, uh, Dalio. I mean, yep. he writes for Epsilon Theory, and he's a money manager. So there's, there's. I've always found that kind of mold attractive as the person who has some kind of practical competency, but isn't doing it for the benefits of that, of what they've been doing. They're doing it so that, you know, they're sort of doing these servile arts so that they can do these fine arts, if yep. you wanted to put it that way. And isn't the most common undergraduate degree of CEOs is a liberal arts degree. Yeah. So maybe there's something to that. Mm-hmm. Of it, it's not a business degree. It's some other foundation. I don't know. So I want to be a gentleman farmer. That's a great idea. Teach my English class and live off, live in my little, my little acres. Yeah. I want to be a but I don't want to be in charge of this. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind running the state. I feel like yeah. you guys, if you guys really want me to, hey, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna beg you. I feel like we've yeah. taken opposite, opposite right. sides of this gonna, issue. Okay, good. I'm not gonna fight all the other sailors I to be in charge I mean, of the boat. I'm not allowed. It's just they not my thing. So not allowed to be. Guys, oh, I guess I could be governor, like Arnold. He wasn't yeah, born here either. Yeah. So you can be governor. You just can't be. I have thought about running for sheriff. I still want to do that. Why not? Just do I, it. I, I still want to. Okay. Yeah, be easy. Cool. Cool. Yep. Well, right. Rock and roll. This has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. Thank you all for listening. You can find us online at classicalstuff.net. We are on Twitter at uh, Classical Stuff at C-L-S-S-C-A-L Stuff. You can email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. And I think that's all I got. So thank you all for being here. Cool, cool. And yep, yep. we will see you all in a week. For Graham, AJ, and Thomas, we're saying goodbye. Bye. There it is. Bye.